Hi, I'm Leah Wheatholter, and this is the Investigation Game Podcast. Welcome to the Investigation Game Podcast. I'm Leah Wheatholter, CEO of Workman Forensics in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Joining me today is Hayden Llewellyn. Hayden is a certified public accountant and a certified fraud examiner. After graduating with his bachelor's in accounting of May of 2020, he successfully received his MBA and his CPA license within a year. And after a nine-month internship that was extended due to the ongoing pandemic, he began working full-time for Hogan Taylor as a forensic valuation litigation support staff in October of 2020. Okay, so So we have a lot of listeners who are either in college pursuing an accounting degree and sometimes even forensic accounting degrees. And then we also have listeners who are looking for a career change, maybe a career change into forensic accounting. So today I'd like to talk about your career path and lessons that you've learned along the way. And first of all, the thing that stood out to me whenever we connected on LinkedIn, I mean, not only am I familiar with your firm because your firm is based here in Tulsa. Also, you were an honors intern with the FBI. And so was I. And I get a lot of questions about how this program works, but like I'm old now. So I don't know how these things work. So when I saw you had this background, I was like, okay, we've got to have him on the podcast so he can like educate our listeners and help our listeners. So first of all, what led you to pursue this internship opportunity? So really, it was, I guess two parts. I mean, growing up, I always had, you know, an interest in law enforcement, but I kind of, I kind of lost it as I got towards college and I was looking for, you know, a what I wanted to do. I started with um, finance and then tacked on accounting and then later dropped finance. But as as I was exploring what to do with an accounting degree, most of the typical things didn't sound super interesting. And then I stumbled across forensic accounting. And so I did a lot of research on it. I actually spoke to with different recruiters from firms as a college student, just kind of like, hey, how do I get started and stuff like that. And just a lot of sources online pointed towards FBI hires for its accountants. So I was like, wow, that seems like the place to be for the exciting stuff. So um, as I was poking around on that, I stumbled across their internship and waited around for the uh, application to open up. Yeah. So I, I want to know about this process because um, even just when we were chatting before we started recording, uh, I learned there's a lot of differences since 2006 when I was an honors intern. So whenever I'm asked about this, I just refer people to FBI.gov. But how, so you were in this program in 2019. So how did this program work when you were there? And what was that application process like? So yeah, you actually, it's it's FBIjobs.gov has all the information out there. Um, you actually apply um, the September before the summer that the internship is. So I applied in September of 2018 uh, for summer 2019. And so, you know, you just make sure that, you know, it's only open for a certain period of time. So you have to make sure that you're watching for it to open it up and they have it on the website. Um, and so just keeping an eye out for that and making sure that you're meeting the the minimal qualifications. You know, they really, they're looking for all backgrounds for the internship and for employees in general. So don't worry too much about what your major is. It's really just what I want to do long-term. And they also have automatic disqualifiers. So just make sure that you don't fall into any of those categories. Do you remember what any of those were? Um, Most of them are, you know, drug use related, um, some arrest history, you know, overall background check. One thing that I don't think people realize is that even as an intern, you're getting a full top secret security clearance. So they're not going to shortcut the process for you. It's, you know, it's a long process. And I always tell people, you know, 
the key thing is to be patient. I believe that I, I actually got my final like confirmation as I was driving to the field office as I was moving out there. So it oh was like gosh. down to the wire on timing. And it, I mean, you just have to be patient with it and, and see it through. Did they still do a polygraph? They still do a polygraph. So okay. you, still have to, yeah. you still have to pass polygraphs, still have to get fingerprinted, all that stuff. Yeah. So the I just remember my polygraph interview and uh, I attended... Or Roberts University, so like a really strict honor code and stuff. And so I remember they were asking me questions during, you know, I mean, there is a lot of background check stuff, but they were asking me about like marijuana use or alcohol, you know, use or whatever. And I said, and at that point in my life, I had never had tasted alcohol except for like at the Episcopal Church, like when I went with my boyfriend a couple of times, like that was the only exposure I'd ever had. And well, maybe not exposure, but like I just had never drank. And he was like, there is no way. And I think this was on the polygraph because I remember him like looking at it, you know? Yeah. And he's like, there is no way. And finally, I just told him because he just kept harping on there is no way that you have never had alcohol. And I just said, I have wanted to work for the FBI since I was in ninth grade. So no, I would have been like this major rule follower my entire yeah. life, even through college. But he just couldn't believe that that was, that that was my answer. Like surely the polygraph was going to show I was lying. But Yeah. And it's tough because, you know, I, I, I kind of had a similar stories i mean i was like no i've never tried any of any of these drugs and they're like you've never even experimented like once like you know several years i'm like no i've never been interested like you know i've, I've always kept it clean but i will say that it's a, it, you know you have a personal security interview early on in the process where they go over everything that you submitted and they they do kind of probe you a little bit and ask about those things and make sure that you know you're ready for that polygraph and you're telling the truth and yeah. they're not looking for people that have never done anything wrong i mean you know admit to, to what you have done so that it doesn't come out that you lied and just move forward with it. I mean, they're not looking for someone who's never had a parking ticket. I mean, right. There, there is some leeway. Oh yeah, for sure. I remember one of the, like there was this one agent who would say all the time, if you ever mess up, just admit it. Like, sure, yeah. but if you 100%. lie about it, you're out. Like oh, this yeah. was even after I was at the bureau. He's like, if you lie about it, you're gone. That's how they, that's how it is. You know, got to be candid. And I, you know, talking about the background process, I actually, <laughs> It's funny because, you know, they have the investigators go out and talk to your neighbors and your, your employers and stuff like that. So I worked through college part time. And so I remember showing up to work and it was a truck out front that I didn't re you know recognize. And I'll, I'll walk inside and my coworkers are all like, what'd you do? You know, the, the, <laughs> the FBI is in there talking to the manager, you know. So and, and same thing, you know, people were asking about it because he went to the or I went to Arkansas Tech University. So he was up there talking to the, my professors and, you know, just asking about, you know, my grades and how I am in class, things like that. So yeah, I had no idea they were going to do that. And so I mean, I didn't tell anyone. I mean, and, and I don't even think I like do we put people I don't I think they talked to people I hadn't even like listed, um, like on my application or whatever. And so I just had all these people. I remember texting me like, Leah, the <laughs> FBI just interviewed me today. Thanks a lot. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did. I did have to identify some people. So they did, they reached out to them, but then I think that later on they kind of just like on the spot was like, "Hey, who else can we talk to?" Yep. You know, that you haven't talked about. So yeah, it, it's it is intense, but like you said, they're not. There's still like leeway and stuff. Just just be honest. That's that's what they're looking for. Which I mean, as an employer. I really just need people to be honest with me too. I mean, it's fair, you know, especially for the type of work they were doing. Okay, so when I was an honors intern, you were e we were either assigned to DC headquarters, DC field office, Quantico, or criminal justice information systems in 
West Virginia. But when you were in the program, they sent you to field offices. So tell us a little about that. Yeah. So if you know, if you go on there, they actually have you rank your top six choices. So most people will put uh, a lot of people want to go to headquarters um, or they want to stay local. I had this bright idea that I really wanted to show that I was ambitious and wanted to uh, was willing to relocate and all this stuff. So I ranked Portland first on my list. And then I think Little Rock second or third down in there. And so I actually went to Portland for my internship, the field office. So, and again, they don't, they do not cover reimbursements or, you know, travel expenses or housing. So think through the, 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 those choices, you know, that was all on me moving out to Portland for a summer. Yeah. The moving was on you. Is it still paid? It is still still paid once you got there. Right. Yeah. They just don't pay pay for the housing while you're there either. Right. Yeah. You got to pay that out of what they're paying you. Correct. Yeah. Yep. I remember that. First of all, why did you choose Portland? Yeah. Yeah, I wish I had some great reason. I just kind of wanted to go explore Portland and um, just thought it sounded like a a cool place to go. And it was great. I loved it. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't think there's any better weather than in Portland. Like it's so nice. Yeah, it was perfect. So nice, especially in the summer. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And then when you got there, how did they choose where you were assigned or like, were you on a special, were you in a special section or unit? Yeah. So um, I don't know how they determine it. I don't know if they look at your major and line you up. But I so happened to be assigned to the white collar crime squad. Oh, awesome! Um, so I got to work hand in hand with the forensic accountants. Um, I was assigned a mentor who was amazing. Uh, I won't name his name because he's still with them, but he really put a lot of faith and trust in me to to work on active cases and help move them along and really just took me under his wing and uh, it was a great time. Yeah, I always say that the internship was like the best 10 weeks and then later two years of my life. Like it was just so much fun. So when you were an intern on the white collar squad, like what were the types of tasks that you were doing? Again, I don't know if it was because I had an accounting background or just because he kind of you know, we hit it off well and he trusted me and, you know, I, it took me a couple of weeks, I guess, to kind of build that up with him. But it so happened that Portland was looking for a forensic accountant. So they kind of had some some more work to do. And so I kind of got to fill that role for the summer. I, I was working investigations. Like I was doing some analysis. I was um, doing the same things that they were doing as far as, I don't want to get too specific, obviously, because right. I can't. But did you like schedule bank statements and do analysis? Scheduling bank statements, doing the analysis, uh, trace uh, I actually helped identify like a, a money laundering scheme, you know, tracing the funds through several accounts. And then it was actually liquidated off to cryptocurrency. Um, I got to do some crypto tracing. It was, it was, uh, you know, got to do it all. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I went to the attorney general's office for some briefings. and Did they take you on any search warrants? So I did get to go on one search. Yeah. Was it white collar related? No, it wasn't. I just got to tag along on another squad. And, you know, your, your role on those searches are very limited because they don't want you doing too much and you have to, have to testify for it. So right. you're pretty limited in what you can do. But I got, to, I got to go and experience it. So that was good. That's good. Did they still do any, like, when I was there, they did classes for defensive tactics or I don't know, like any of the training stuff? Because they were trying to expose us, you know, in hopes that we'd become agents. So did they do any of that for you? The, they didn't do any defensive tactics. They did, um, we got to do like a simulation. Okay, like yeah. A, like one of the gun simulations, mm-hmm. like one of their training things. So um, that was a lot of fun. And then were there other interns in Portland as well? Yes. Uh, we actually had a big group. can't remember how many, but I think there was like nine or 10 of us, which they said was a pretty good sized group. So there were there were two of us on the white collar squad. So did you go in between your junior and senior year of college? I did, yes. And how long was your internship? So it was 10 weeks. And then they, assuming you do well through your 10 weeks, you can extend it. if you're. So if you go in as like a, a freshman or freshman 
sophomore, they'll they can they'll actually offer to extend your internship on to next summer or something like that sometimes. And so I had a limited internship throughout the school year to maintain my clearance because you have to meet so many mm-hmm. uh, hours in the office to keep that up. So I had a limited internship extended through through June of 2020. Okay. And how did you do that internship being in Arkansas? They transferred me to Litterock. They, you know, in their systems, it was just apparently it was it, it would have been a lot easier too if I had wanted to switch to Litterock initially. But I I don't regret going to Portland. I, I got along great with um, the Litterock team as well. But I think there was just something about the overall Portland experience that that was really valuable. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so. You did your internship, and then what did you do after you graduated college? So I was one of the fortunate, lucky ones to be right during COVID. Um, oh, no. So I was in my last semester. I was again doing the this limited internship with the bureau, and I just started interning with Hogan Taylor in their advisory department, working with the forensic evaluation group here. So I was just being a little support there. But March hit. And COVID hit, and I got sent home from both internships. They kept both kept me on, but just with you know different roles, if you will. I guess I kind of made a good enough impression with Hogan Taylor. They had a pretty limited internship; it was only again like another ten weeks or so. But they extended it for me. You know, they said, you know, hey, let's you know you can stay on until you graduate if you want. And so I stayed on until I graduated. And then as graduation was approaching, you know, we were kind of like, hey, you know, is there going to be a full time offer? Um, and they were like, well, you know, we really want to, but you know, COVID. And so let's just keep extending your internship for now. And we'll kind of keep going that way. So I ended up as an intern for nine months for Hogan Taylor. Well, that's awesome. I mean, and, but also super weird. So yeah. I, I bet that was a really strange situation in your life. It was weird. That, that would be really strange. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. We love fun projects around here at Workman Forensics, and our newest adventure is taking place in the form of an escape room. Novel Mysteries is our first escape experience based on the novel Blood on the Mother Road, No Place to Hide by Tulsa author Mary Coley, the 2022 Oklahoma Book Award for Fiction recipient. Booking opportunities for this exciting immersive experience are available at novelmysteries.com. Welcome back to my conversation with Hayden. So, okay, so when in this process did you start sitting for licenses and credentials? Okay, so I graduated in May and I'm the kind of person that I don't like to drag things out. Um, I don't like to take the easy road. I want to do it all at once. And so I graduated in May and decided I wanted to have my CPA license within a year. Well, I said I wanted to be licensed. I didn't say I wanted to pass the exams within a year. So that meant I needed the additional credits because uh, I didn't graduate right. graduate my, with my bachelor's with enough hours. So I needed to go get a master's. And that means I needed to pass all four exams. And I also started working full time in October. So I took a, an accelerated MBA course through LSU Shreveport Online, started taking exams. I took my first one in August of 2020, had my wedding in August as oh well. Oh my gosh. Um, and then I took my last CPA exam in March of 21. And so by that time, I'd, when I found out I passed, I had completed enough of my MBA program to have the credits needed and I had been working. So I met all the requirements and got licensed in April of 21. Wow, that's awesome. And then awesome. graduated from LSU Shreveport in May. That's awesome. Way to just knock that out. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, you know, let's, you know, let's go ahead and get 
certified fraud examiner while we're at it. So right. I tacked that on at the end of last year. Way to knock that out while you still like had all the studying, you know, momentum yeah. and stuff. It was actually kind of funny. I actually finished it while I was on paternity leave. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. That is just too much, Hayden. <laughs> like it's a lot. Too much. And I, I don't recommend it for the majority of people. people. I've had people reach out and ask me, you know, hey, how'd you do this? Would you recommend it? And if for most people, I don't recommend it. For me, there was no other option. That was the only valid way. You know, that was how I saw my path going. And so if that's your mindset, then go for it. But if yeah. you're questioning if it's for you, then you probably, you probably avoid doing it that way. Yeah, for sure. And then NASBA, yeah, because NASBA started doing continual testing or ASCPA, whoever decides that. ASCPA started yeah. doing continual testing. So I think that made that a little more doable to to try for to sure. knock them out fast. Because I did, I passed the CPA exam last year and I started in like March of 21 and I finished by September of 21. So yeah. it's horrible. But it's at least with continual testing, you know, you can just study, knock it out. If you don't pass, take it again real quick. Yeah. The one piece that I always tell people, plan your testing around the score release. Yes. The worst part is waiting a month yes. to figure out if you passed. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. So yes. I, I endorse that strategy as well. Okay, so when you entered public accounting, you were working with the forensic valuation group. What at Hogan Taylor? So what? Um, and I'm just going to call it litigation support. But first of all, what does Hogan Taylor do in the litigation support forensic valuation area? What are the types of services over there? We pretty much do it all. I mean, I would say to be generous with it, um, we have everything from partnership disputes. We get quite a few of those general breach of contract cases. Um, so we're looking into really whatever allegations have been laid out. You know, it could be could be fraud, could be just misappropriation, could just be any kind of contract violation. We do get some divorce work um, for both the forensic and valuation side of things. And then obviously, again, just general litigation support for attorneys that sometimes they just need someone to be able to call when, when they have something going on in their case and they just need someone to look at it deeper. Um, so, and then with the valuation side of things, we will, we do a lot of uh, estate and gift tax return or valuations. We'll do them for partnership buyouts, partnership disputes and, and things like that. Whenever you started working with this group, did you see some areas where it was like working with the FBI and the forensic accountants there was either different or the same or similar? You know, how did you feel that experience helped you complimented or was it like, whoa, I've got to look at this from a different perspective or, you know, just what were your thoughts on that? Making that switch? Honestly, it went with all of that. It was, first of all, when you walk in, there's snacks sitting out. That is a change. <laughs> yep. you, don't, you don't get that at the FBI. You don't, That's no true. one's buying your coffee. Right. You know, you don't, you don't have snacks laying out. So it's, even from the get go, I mean, you're getting lunches and stuff on the corporate side that, you, you know, each has its perks, I guess. Right. That's so funny. That was one of the biggest things I noticed going into public accounting was like this whole closet that was full of like soda. Yeah. And I was like, what? And we didn't have to like pay, like have a can for coffee fund, you know, like exactly. that was so mind blowing. So that's hilarious. That was one of my first like. Uh, and then when it comes to the work, it's just, it's a different kind of workload usually. I mean, one is the criminal side of things and one is the, the civil. And it's a, it's a different way to investigate too, because we're often constrained in public accounting to our budget. You know, sometimes the, the client wants to squeeze as much as possible out of $7,000 and you're like, well, that's, you know, we need to talk about this, you know, we, we're not going to get too far 
<laughs> with that. So we're gonna have to kind of make the best use of our time. And so I, you know, I enjoy getting really down to the details of things. And so yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, a balance there that you have to, to weigh. Yeah, that you didn't have to at the bureau. Yeah, you know, you just you spend whatever time you need to spend and look at every transaction that you want. Yeah, that's kind of hard to like turn that off at first, I think. What do you think is a reasonable expectation of someone's work day if they're wanting to work in public accounting, in litigation support, forensic accounting? What are some reasonable expectations or things that maybe they want they would want to consider? Because we, we talk about this at our office too, that sometimes there's just this, oh, it would be cool to be a forensic accountant. And so the, this idea versus this is what it really looks like. What are some of your, what, what have you noticed? Yeah. So I would say, obviously it, it does depend on the firm. So make sure that you're thinking about what kind of work you want to do um, and what you want your work life to look like. But I would say to make sure that you're comfortable with messy data. I mean, we don't get a complete picture. You know, we're, we have messy, incomplete data. So be comfortable cleaning that and getting it into a format compatible with analyzing it. So sometimes it's manual data entry, learning software. As you know, I mean, through the discovery process, we'll just receive huge data dumps of hundreds or thousands of pages worth of documents. And so, you know, you have to be ready to look at all of those files and, and categorize them. What's needed? What's not needed? How do we analyze this? It's a, it's, you really got to be able to get into the weeds and not get lost. Because of that budget constraint too. Correct, like, yeah. How are you going to create the most bang for somebody's buck? Yeah. But then there's all this mess too and like ferreting through that. And it's a communication thing too with the client. You know, I'm working some cases right now and, you know, client will just sit, keep sending me stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. What are you really wanting here? Because I can spend another 10, 15 hours going through all this stuff and you may not get anything from this. So let's make sure that we're getting you what you want. And it's, it's this is communication thing as well, just making sure that you're comfortable having those those talks with clients. So Yeah, which is a big difference from working at the Bureau. Yeah. Because you didn't have to talk to, you know, there wasn't this and client. As an intern, I definitely use. didn't talk to. Yeah, but even as a forensic accountant, that's not, you know, unless they like do some interviews with the agents or whatever. Yeah. Like it's not, yeah, you're not having to have those kind of conversations. So yeah, I get that. So what education or experience would you recommend to either someone, you know, who's going to be graduating soon or if they, you know, maybe just want to make a career change and get into forensic accounting and litigation support? So this one's a little tough for me to answer because I was fortunate to land a real right out of college. And I owe a huge portion of that to the partner that leads our group, Clay, uh, Clay Glasgow. He saw a lot of potential in me early on and just kind of put a lot of trust and faith in me to, to, to go into this role. It's a, it's a lot more responsibility than a typical staff position, I would say. You know, we don't have prior year work papers usually to refer back to. And I would say, you know, experience-wise, obviously, you know, you're, you need to get your a degree in accounting most likely. I mean, a lot of forensic accountants aren't CPAs, you know, but attorneys are going to just look at your credentials and, and what you're qualified for. And, and the CPA is an easy way to just check off a box for them to say, okay, well, they're a CPA, so they have these certain standards that they have to adhere to. So I would say go for your CPA license. And so whether you get your master's or you just take enough undergrad credits, either way. And I would say that if you're working for a public firm right now and you if you're truly interested in forensic accounting, then make sure you're communicating that with the people you're working with and, and letting them know if they have a forensics group, make sure that they're aware that you have that interest because there are times when we need to go pull someone from another group and say, hey, can you help us out on this? And it would be helpful 
you know, if, if, if we know that someone already has an interest, go ahead and kind of let them test the waters. And then if we end up with an opening, we already know that this person works well with us. They have an interest in it and, and things like that. So I would just make sure that you're communicating that with the right people. Yeah, I really love that suggestion because one of my team and I were talking about how there were some people in our in previous work experiences that apparently really wanted to do this work, but they'd never told anyone. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, you, you got to tell people so they know. And I mean, three months into my job in public accounting and I was working tax and I remember they asked me, what do you want to do here or whatever? And I said, I think forensic accounting could be cool to do. <laughs> like, here's how I think that you could generate revenue from doing this. And they were like, okay. So then the next case that came in, yeah. instead of referring it out, they were like, hey, Leah, you want to take a stab at this? So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely communicating that. And I would say, you know, like, like you just said, make sure that you're clear, not just that it's um, something that you may kind of be interested in, but that it's something that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um because otherwise, you know, that does matter, you know, yeah. how you present your interest. Um, and again, if you're if you're in college right now, look for those opportunities. There, there are a lot of firms that have internship opportunities in forensics that people don't even know about. And I was determined to go straight into a role in forensics. I mean, as a senior, I was, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I wasn't going to settle for other positions if I didn't have to. So I really had to to seek that out. Yeah. And I would also add, as an employer, I had someone who asked me, I I don't typically hire forensic accounting interns anymore. I used to, but I had someone who was really insistent about it and like made just this amazing case for why I should hire them as a forensic accountant. And I said, okay, great. Here's, you know, our forensic accounting manager's card send her your resume. And they never sent her their resume. So when you have an opportunity like that, send someone your resume. And if you don't have a resume, make one. (laughs) Like, come on, there's templates everywhere online. But just like that little bit of follow through. I mean, this person would have had an and I don't give (laughs) forensic (laughs) accounting internships. So marketing internships, but not forensic accounting internships. So anyway, just that like little extra. It's real simple. But it's very important because, I mean, as an employer, I need to know that you're serious about this. So I need you or, you know, whoever the student is to take that first step to show me that they're serious because I'm not going to seek you out. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm too busy. Sure. My forensic accounting manager is too busy. We are not going to seek out people like you have to be specific. But you make a great point. I mean, that's how it is. I mean, there are all, are all kinds of people that say that, oh, they want to do something and then they just they don't put in the small amount of effort that it would take to actually do that. Because how I actually found about, out about Hogan Taylor was a connection within, within the bureau. It was, oh, hey, you're graduating soon. Here is a firm. And it was just, here's a recruiter's contact information. So I emailed the recruiter uh, and was like, hey, I want to work in your forensics group. Right. <laughs> I mean, and so then they had an internship in, in the advisory group, and that's how I got in. I mean, you know, that, that follow-through matters. It does. It, it says a lot and um, makes the employer feel confident about taking a chance on this person. Uh, especially, with, you know, even in the situation if they don't have like an FBI internship like you did or, or something. So anyway, well, Hayden, thanks so much for taking time to talk with me today. And if any of our listeners would like to connect with you or ask you more questions, hopefully that's okay. Um, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, I would say the best way is probably just LinkedIn. You know, I'm checking that all the time. So um, just reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh Chat. Yeah, it's a good place. That's where I quote unquote met you, I guess was on yeah. LinkedIn too. So that's awesome. All right. Well, we'll make sure to include your LinkedIn profile link in the show notes. So thank you again. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening to the Investigation Game podcast. For more information on any of the topics brought up on this show, visit workmanforensics.com. If you enjoyed our show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also connect with us on any social media platform by searching Workman Forensics. If you want to learn more about using data and forensic accounting engagements and fraud investigations, make sure to check out my book, Data Sleuth, available on Amazon or anywhere else you like to buy your books.